question of I and my. In this talk with you this evening, I would like to explore the question of self, of I and my, and some of the forms that it makes itself manifest. And there are a number of ways to explore this. One of them is the field of <coughs> attachments and dependencies which build up and become established in our life, and the other which is aversion. And sometimes in the I and my, in its appearance, as an unsatisfactory element in life, in the nature of things, we sometimes experience it most noticeably and clearly in the movement of attachment and dependency, the movement towards or the movement away from expressing as aversion or hostility or resentment. And so in our experiences, at times the presence of I and my are most noticeable in these two forms of movement which take countless expressions in which we have a countless in a way, reservoir of descriptions of being attracted and becoming dependent upon the holding and clinging or attachment to or the reaction against the aversion, the withdrawal, the denial or whatever. So in the movements of heart and mind, shall we say, the, this polarity takes place within ourselves in different ways and we find that at times the consequences of this in the movement or as a result of the movement is pain and unsatisfactoriness. In that at times we, the attraction if we deal with that side first and Attraction meaning where there is a reaching out, a reaching toward, a taking up, a taking a hold upon and making something of. And this movement giving substance to an event, to a particular situation, experience, person, idea, material, whatever it might be. So the movement takes place inside, we gravitate, we are attracted towards that, we take that up, we hold on to that, and in holding on to that, we then correspondingly build up our identity through that, through that relationship. And in that, one of the ways that that shows itself sometimes is in the potency of possessiveness or holding the, the my syndrome. And we think at times, if I do not have this my syndrome, then I won't know what property is, I won't know what relationships is, I won't know where I am, my life will be very confused and scattered. I need my, my this, my that, to define where I am and to define where I am not. And yet easily in the language of that, this holding onto takes place 
and in it we relate in this divisive way to the world. My and not my. And the old story of the person who was working in the office and received a telephone call and the call said, your uh, apartment, your home is uh, on, on fire. And the person in immediate anguish said, my place, my apartment, my possessions, and all the fear, the anxiety, in a split moment of a sentence of a phone call, rushed through the cellular life, rushed into consciousness, complete terror, panic, pandemonium, <coughs> your place, number 34 or whatever, is going up in smoke. Puts the phone down, like a hurricane through the office, scrambling around to get the coat, get out of the place, to get there. Two minutes later, the phone rings. Terribly sorry. <laughs> it wasn't 34. It was actually number 32. <laughs> Huge relief. Oh, it's not my place. <laughs> Sometimes they tell this story in India. Then they had the extra third piece to it for more entertainment. The phone rings a third time. Actually, it is your place. But anyway. <laughs> so we see <clears throat> with the my <clears throat> that takes place how the my shapes and determines the feelings, the thoughts, the relationship, the responses to things in a way in which one would have to draw the conclusion my matter, other doesn't matter in the same way. And in a way we're a prisoner of my. And so work for liberation, the investigation into a liberated way of, of being scrutinizes and is willing to look at my and the implications of it. And what we notice with ourselves in we just take the material realms is in fact the degree of my and the involvement of my can vary in the responses to situations to what we say we have quite considerably. It's not as though we treat every my possession to the same degree of intensity and preoccupation. Actually, it varies quite considerably. And for what one person may be a my with incredible holding and clinging and attachment, for another person, exactly the same item, possession, may not have any my to it whatsoever. It's just used for talking, for speaking. So we look in ourselves at this area of my and how easily that builds up. But what easily happens is it gets transferred 
into other situations, not only the material, which is obvious, but into other fields, whatever they are, which we regard as being important to ourselves. So any particular which you and I regard as having some importance, in that moment there is the foundation for the build-up of my. One of the ways that this shows and expresses itself is through a function. Engaged in any particular kind of activity and the language says, well, I am doing this. I am doing this particular job, this particular task. Actually, it's on the basic level, it's just a function. It's only an activity. It's only a process unfolding itself. We forget that, we, we completely miss that, and somehow or other, we solidify it. The job, the career, the study, gets a fixed attribute to it, as though it was a substance. And we forget it's just a word, it becomes a substance, and then self can build up on that in this job that I am doing, in this function that I am doing. Do people approve of my work? Approve of me as being a whatever I am, whatever that role is. So there's the, there's the function taking place. A word is applied for social convenience to that particular function. One can't go around and saying, well, I'm just functioning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sometimes we do. <laughs> sometimes we say we're barely functioning. <laughs> so we, we use the label for a description of the function. The label gets repeated in consciousness, others refer us to it, and then self needs that label, needs that word to build up on, and once we start building, then we've got plenty of time for measurement. We measure ourselves going somewhere, not going somewhere, doing well, doing badly. It's a nice day today, it's a horrible day today. Whatever. So that in the, the very word, each time you and I are asked, who are you? Each time we say, well, my work is this. Easily itself then takes a hold, the my gets substance to it, and building, building takes place. But what goes with that addiction, and with that attachment, is its opposite, and its opposite may be this function suddenly stops. The very dynamics of existence, the very diversity and interplay of, of things, means that any function at any time can stop and sometimes we're just completely unprepared for it. So then self is built up on the function, dependent through the attraction to it, through the involvement on that particular function and then it stops. It stops organically, it stops through the nature, it stops through uh, an event, it stops through uh, uh, 
redundancy notice, it's, it stops because the appetite has gone completely out of it or whatever. And one has gone from the self being employed in a situation with its function, the function stops, the self then collapses, built up on the function. And so it's not surprising at all in this world and society that we live in that being and doing, doing and having function and appearing very responsible builds up self and then we're unemployed. Then the work is finished. Then the period of years and years of study has come to its end and one is 40 years old and one's realised I've got to start leaving school. And, and one's reached this point, and then one's unemployed. So the self is there, and so there's a collapse there, and one is feeling pained, confused, worthless, and mummy keeps telephoning, why aren't you working? <laughs> so on that, upon which we build like a house of cards, it takes very, very little for that to crumble and it may not be anything to do with personal circumstances, it's just in the nature of things that what rises falls. So awareness and wisdom in the movement and building up which takes place is one where the wisdom says, recognizes this occurs as a phenomenal event of life, recognizing that also change and collapse or finishing also occurs. Wisdom is living at peace with both. Sometimes we do it with each other. We do it with practices. We do it with meditation. We take hold of the my and we build up ourselves on my, on the, on the practice, the teaching, the teacher, or sometimes in comparison with another person. And the person comes here into a situation like this and perhaps as for some of you, for the first time being in a place like this, it's unfamiliar ground, unfamiliar territory, one doesn't know anything from the past as a reference point, so one's view of how am I doing, how is my work going, my practice going, tends to be on the interpretation of what it seems like it is for other people. And sometimes the small groups shed a bit of light on it, sometimes what's going on in the meditation room. So in here, very easily, one's got my, but one's got no, not much history to it, so one's referent is via other people. So sometimes we see somebody who is sitting incredibly still, like rock-like, Buddha-like posture, <laughs> Every time one comes in, that person, he or she, is still there. Well, it's utterly nauseating to see. <laughs> and so one says, well, there's the measure. 
of the situation. And therefore, in that comparison, yeah, obviously it's got to be meaning that I can't possibly going, be going anywhere. My practice is hopeless in comparison. But one has no idea and no evidence for what's actually going on internally. The person can be replaying every movie they've seen <laughs> through their entire existence. And they're so engrossed in it that they forget to move. Sometimes the outer appearances are incredibly deceptive. And yet, based on a nominal representation through eyes, that one takes a hold of the immediacy and says, well, my, my, I'm not going anywhere, my practice is not going anywhere. So in situations looking at what's being built up. Sometimes it's a kind of gradual building up which is going on. Sometimes the build up which is going on is something which just occurs almost in a rush in the moment. Are we building? And if we are, not to be afraid of that or to be denying that in any way, but to be clear that that's what's going on, and to be clear that its opposite can also be revealed at any time, at any moment in the flow and rhythm of our existence. You see, too, <coughs> that sometimes we um, rationalize as well. There is something which is taking place and and sometimes it shows itself in a particular kind of views which form about ourselves based on the function that we've built up. And when then we, we, we think all manner of reasons. Sometimes we revert to the past, to the distant past. And we say, well, it's obvious I'm like this because my parents, my this, my that, were like that, and I'm just the, the fruit <laughs> of the way they were. And this gives a slight bit of comfort, because one's got somewhere to point the blame, offload it onto the parents, who could in turn offload it onto their parents. <laughs> What Adam and Eve would say, God only knows. So, there, so then it goes back from one to a generation which is taking place. And in that, it might provide insight, but very easily it could be an avoidance. It could be a way of offloading the situation rather than exploring what way can I work with it in the here and now. So in reference to the past, I would say, if the past is providing us with insight, it's useful. If it's just thinking about 
as some kind of way of trying to explain things in, in a rationalizing kind of way, it may not be very useful in that way. And sometimes in our um, doing that, we um, find other ways to do that. And one of the areas in, that, in our looking into ourselves, and I've mentioned this a number of times in the small groups with you, one area of this is taking risks. Meaning sometimes we know we tend to play safe. Playing safe is keeping exclusively with the known or with the comfortable. And we tend to do this too frequently. And it's not that we have to become terribly extroverted and flamboyant or, or whatever, but seeing where we can just stretch ourselves a little bit, where we can go a little bit further, just to test where some holding or attachment is taking place, where the letting go can be. Otherwise, again, we refuse to, to uh, take risks, to take chances. And in, in that, that may be, it may be sitting more, it may be walking more, it may be going to more small group meetings, it, it may be staying up later at night, it may be eating less, it may be eating more, whatever it might be, so that we look and see where the boundaries are, where the holding is, where the clinging is in the terms of the, the my, whatever. Otherwise we can take, play too safe ground. I mean, for, when in England you probably heard this, I just had a reminder of this. When um, in England there was a joke with, um, about uh, the, um, um, Mr. Uh, uh, Regan, Ronald uh, Regan, during his presidency, where he would, he would say, um, well, hard work never killed anybody. But what I, what I say is, why take the chance? <laughs> <laughs> and, and this <laughs> kind of situ situation that sometimes there is with the holding and with the attachments which take place there, with the my that goes with it, we want to stay just in that field. We do, and sometimes we resist just probing into that a little bit more carefully and looking where, where, is the, where is the my, where is the holding going on, where sometimes is the holding back going on. And just stretching consciousness, making that an adventure with our, with our work. Similarly with aversion, which how easily, as we know, what we feel, movement towards, whatever, whoever, whenever, equally and easily the other can come and show itself in aversion. And this aversion is, shows itself in contraction. My arises, it's taken hold of something in particular, or particulars, it's so, as it were, wrapped itself around that, and in that aversion which arises, there is rejection of one thing because one wishes for something else. Rejection of one in order for something else to be, to be made manifest. And we see that this aversion 
in life, common phenomena with us is also the area of which there is my at work. Sometimes, again, sitting in walking times, in eatings, wherever there's a group of people together, there's almost certainly going to be that movement with regard to ourselves of sometimes aversion towards another or others or sometimes generalized and one might just stop in that moment and say, well, what is it that's going on here? What, what is it going on when I am experiencing aversion? What is it that I don't like? What is it I'm trying to keep or keep out? And again, sometimes that challenges us. Some people challenges us. Sometimes there is aversion there in a moment towards another who one never even spoken to one's whole existence. And one might start trying to think, well, who do they remind me of? Or what happened in the past? And even when somebody sparks aversion inside of us, even if we found out who it was in the past or what it was in the past that happened or whatever, it might have been someone that's seen on, in, a, in a movie, Ben-Hur, and, and a reminder of it. <laughs> who knows what it might be? Or even worse, the Ronald Reagan movie. And in that, one, that and then when there's some, but even sometimes when we gain the knowledge from the past, it doesn't seem to matter too much to the aversion. So again, seeing past in its relationship, seeing in its perspective, but still there's the actuality of aversion. And what we notice in life, those who we most attached to, those that we cling on to, that we, those that we build up most, are the very same persons and people, including ourselves, if innerly, inwardly directed, who there can be the most aversion to. So building up of self can easily invite the bedfellow of aversion. And, and sometimes what we notice with attraction and building up and with aversion, that the attraction what, and the building up has a very pleasurable component to it. Building up one's practice, building up one's role, building up one's identity, building up one's number of possessions, increasing the population, whatever the interest is, it can bring pleasure, the feeling of pleasure. So for building, it see, does require other factors, and one is pleasure, the feeling of pleasure. The man says, well, if I don't do any building, if I don't do engage in that, then my God, I'm going to live like a moron for the rest of my existence. Because if, I'm, if, I, if I don't want any aversion, and then I have to be without attachment. And therefore I'll have to be without the pleasure and that pleasurable sensation that it gives to me. How can I live in which I experience the pleasant, I experience the unpleasant, yet I'm not a prisoner of building and knocking down? holding on to and cutting away. What, 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 what resource needs to come out of me that I live in a 
free and spacious way so that these two, not opposite but complementaries, occur and I'm interested to explore both. And certainly that requires some equanimity from us. But I think what we tend to forget here is that the deepest responses of a human being actually don't fall into those two categories. And it's all very well to say, oh, love is the opposite of hate, but I don't think it is at all. I think the opposite of hate or aversion is the degree of liking and attraction. So in hate, which we might describe as an intense form of disliking, the opposite to me would be intense liking. Intense liking, which has, a, again, a holding, possessive, or my component that goes with it. So in our exploration to find, let love and joy be accessible to consciousness and the ease which comes with that accessibility is this duality of likes and dislikes with the building component that's going on with it. Are we willing to look and explore in, into that? Because as we see with ourselves that with the two movements that take place, how easily we are moved back and forward on the likes and on the dislikes. That how easily they temper and they influence and shape our way of being. And we become prisoners of liking and disliking. We become so tied to that kind of sensation that we think all the world is and all that matters is what one likes and what one doesn't like. And that's just what it's all about and everything else is not really on. And perhaps, if we are to find and discover and experience, as we do from time to time, genuine affection and joy in life, love and deep friendship with life, it may be that part of the sacrifice, I think it actually is in fact, part of the sacrifice for that joy and that wisdom, that equanimity, is the sacrifice of some of the sensation that can go with pleasure and pain, some of the sensation that can go with likes and dislikes. We may have to give up some of the sensation of that, those experiences in order to help the organism reveal something else which is not in that duality. And the way we think about our experiences is an important factor. And sometimes when we get caught up in the rhetoric and hype of the language, we might be building our own prison. And when we get caught up in the, the language of great, this practice is great, this teaching is great, this place is great, this is fantastic, everybody is fantastic, or whatever. <laughs> Keep that up for a couple of retreats, you'll be sick to death of the place. <laughs> so in, in the building up which takes place, it's like inviting its op 
opposite. So if the sensation is not so intense, it might be a quieter mode of being. Some people say sometimes they don't want that. They don't want that, uh, that way of being. They, 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 want, they want to be on the spiral of ups and downs and highs and depressions. If one wants that way of being, this ain't the place to come to. <laughs> but for those who think there might be something which transcends the swings and the roundabouts, then it may be that we let go of the sensations, not in order to become stoic Buddhists, unsmiling Buddha images and things like that, but rather as a vehicle for gaining access not only to a state of ease and, and being in this world, but for the insights and the deep reverence for life that would come out of it, which pervades through the ordinary likes and dislikes and preferences which you and I have in daily life. We prefer to taste this food, and we don't like this food so much. We prefer to be with this person in our social life. We prefer not to be with that person. All of that, of course, in the conventional world of likes and dislikes. But not the reason for one's existence. Just conventional. And in that seeing through or recognizing the conventional, going deeper into being, then access is gained to that which is not imprisoned in likes and dislikes. Not imprisoned in attachment and aversion. And then we need to, I feel, to be very clear in that liberating spirit that that must apply to everything, including practices, meditations, and anywhere that my might occur. And this gives us, I think, a great sense of well-being, allows the organism to be more comfortable in the universe, and we're seeing and in, in touch and in true, and being as true as we can be to the way things are. This takes some, as I say, sacrifice of too much investment into the sensations of likes and dislikes. May all beings be in touch with life. May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings be free. So let's have a couple of quiet minutes together, shall we?